This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, back here in studio in Juneau with uh, Representative Justin Ruffridge. How you doing? I'm doing great. Nice to be here in uh, your awesome office. I was Josh. telling you, if you come to Anchorage ever and come to the studio, we have a much better operation in, in Anchorage, but it's a little bit a little bit smaller here in Juneau. What's better about your office in Anchorage? It's an actual like studio. It's bigger. It's just oh, okay. it's like a little more professional. So, But now here, I used to be, when I started coming here in 2019, I was working mostly out of the public lounge and the... You know, building across the Capitol. Yeah. So I've, I've upgraded here last year, and I have my little office, which... For your listeners, though, who have maybe never been to your office, it's not unprofessional in here. It's actually quite nice. It's a little, 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 little tiny, but it's, it's... It's homey. It's nice with, two, you know, when you're working on a laptop before with one mon- tiny monitor, it's much, much... You have to, when you go to dual monitors, do you, are you dual monitors? Yes. You can't go back. No. So I'm excited you're here. You're the chair of the Education Committee... Co-chair. Co-chair of the Education Committee. Um, You're chairing this week. I guess you guys rotate. Yes. Uh, And you were almost, I'll talk about the campaign, but you were almost kind of, there was a motion for you to be speaker. There was. When the organization, did you know? I don't think you even knew about that, did you? Uh, You were the one that introduced me to the fact that I was. uh, You were in the hallway. uh, I said, hey, they just made you, they just motioned to make you speaker. Yeah. No, that, uh, that was very interesting introduction to the legislature, to be sure. I, uh. You know that that day, as soon as you get a uh, a, a microphone that goes up, um, there's a little bit of chaos that happened. People were talking out in hallways and out on the catwalk and uh, trying to figure out what was happening, who was uh, who was going to be nominated, and uh, how how that was going to move forward. And this is with the organization, and they ended up organizing the kind of t- few days after session started. But <clears throat> the past four years after the election, it's been you know a month or so. There was another kind of. What's going to happen? But it came, it came together kind of pretty. It came together together pretty quickly. And, uh, but I think that surprised some people. And so that was really what the, you know, chaos was about in the hallway. And so I was, I was asked to come out and talk to somebody in the hall. We were out talking and then it was time to I saw uh, you. I said, come I said, back. Hey, reference, they just motioned to make you speaker. Yeah. I thought you were joking. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> you I, were not I wouldn't joke about that. <laughs> so, so you, you, uh, beat an incumbent, um, Ron Gillum this year, and I didn't, before you filed, I didn't really hear, know about you, or I kind of did some research, and you're, I guess you're a pharmacist, you're a pharmacist. I am, yeah, so I, I grew up in the Kenai Soldatna area, I, I moved there with my family when I was nine, uh, both of my parents are, um, are school teachers uh, in a small Christian school for most of my life, my mom now uh, is a contact teacher with Idea Homeschool, uh, but we grew up in the uh, in the in that area. Um, politics was certainly never oh, something were, that were, I you, thought. You, you were nine. I was nine. Yeah. Where'd you guys move from? Ohio. Wow. Yeah. That's a big change. It was a huge change. Yeah. My dad went to school in Ohio at a small school there, and uh, he met one of his friends was uh, from Kenai, and uh, you know they got to talking as friends do, and his friend convinced him to uh, pack up his family and leave after he graduated from school. So. That was a 
I wasn't super happy about it, but I guess it worked out okay. See, I moved here to Anchorage when I was 19 um, from New Mexico, but I was by myself. I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine with a, with a family, especially Kenai. It's kind of a, you know, Anchorage or Fairbanks, but Kenai is a little bit of a smaller community. Yeah, and uh, so my sister, she's 10 years younger than me, um, or no, nine years younger than me. Because So, yeah, she would have been six months old when we moved. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, she, we, my family packed up a six month old kid and, uh, in a Plymouth Reliant they have a and job. we drove. Did they have jobs or? Yeah. But, uh, so the. Light lined up? It, it was to teach at the, at the school there. So, uh, my dad actually, he promised me cause I was very upset. I didn't want to leave. What's this Alaska place? I knew, I knew about it and, you know, it didn't sound like a place that I necessarily wanted to go at nine years old and, um, yeah, he promised me that I would catch the biggest fish I'd ever caught. Uh, King salmon is what he called it. And, uh, yeah, he still has good to make, uh, make good on the problems. I've caught them in a dip net, but we've never, I've never really? got one on a pole yet. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the famous, the Kenai, right? Well, it is, but once you, I know once you move there, you know, every, all the people that live there, we all subsistence fish, uh, and you know, fishing with a pole is for the tourists, I guess. But, um, you know, yeah. I, Wait, that's a whole other topic, but you know, you look at the the value. Um, this is the big fish wars, and you'll you'll see this when the board of fish stuff comes up. But uh, the value of like a big king salmon, when you factor in like the airline tickets these guys buy, these you know these sport fishermen who come up here, the the hotels, the guides, the huge economic value. And then sometimes they get caught up in these nets, you know, and they're worth you know three or four hundred bucks or whatever they're worth. But the the value of you know. The sport fishers, fishermen who come up here to do that. I mean, it's like $10,000 or something crazy because people really want to catch one of those things. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, you know, being from the Kenai and spending a lot of time on the river, it's uh, it's a fascinating place to see in the summertime. Our, our little town of Soldatna, we go from, you know, 4,500 people mm-hmm. all year to about 25,000, um, including Carl Malone. Carl Malone hangs out there in the summertime. Is he really the best? So yeah. I grew up in New Mexico. There was like Carl Malone. There was he was like a kind of car deal, car car dealerships. No, Carl Malone, like the mailman from the Utah Jazz basketball yeah. NBA. Yeah, he, he owns car dealerships. Oh yeah, Carl. Oh yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, no, I grew up and it was like Carl Malone Ford or Carl Malone Toyota, whatever it was. He's yeah. The, the the smart ones they get the money. They they do something with it. No, he goes to my gym. I know you can't tell. I go to the gym, but he goes to my Wait, gym. So he comes in there. You like see him like all the time. We hang out. He's fun. Wait, 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 wait. You like kick it with Carl? What is he up there fishing? What's he doing? Yeah, I, so I started a little baseball, uh, men's baseball league, and I've been trying to work on him. Did you know when you saw him, to, did you, were you like, that's Carl Malone? Oh, yeah. He looks just like he did when I was a kid watching him and John Stockton and Utah Jazz. He's hasn't, it doesn't did, look did, like he's aged. Did you watch the, um, the dance? Last on, dance, on yeah. The, the, the last dance with the Jordan, and yes. they had that whole deal about Utah and that series with Stockton and... The, 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 the food poisoning or whatever it was or the, the flu. Yes. It's a great, that last dance, a great. It's a fantastic documentary. So wait, do you have his like, not, do you have his like Carl Malone cell phone? Can you like text oh, him? I can neither confirm nor deny. Like, hey, hey Carl, it's. it's cool. No, we're not that, that we're not that, that kind of friends, but he knows my name and I, I obviously do, know him. And, how do I not we know talk. that? Because like, uh, there's some other ones up there. Who's the guy, the NFL guy? He comes up, he does, he does some commercials for some of these businesses. He comes up here in the summertime. And I don't know. The only other sports guy on the Kenai is uh, is Jason Elam, the uh, old NFL kicker. There's a guy. Oh, what's his name? He's like I think he played for the Dolphins. He comes up here and 
does the, you know he's he's on some radio for, for, i'll think of his name later but wow carl so carmelone owns property on the kenai on the river you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give me a heads up next time i gotta i gotta yeah, you come hang out with carl hang out. you gotta come to the gym with me i'll, I'll go <laughs> I'll get a, maybe i'll get a podcast with carl that'd, that'd be a pretty good podcast that'd be a great podcast okay so you're you're a pharmacist so are you a doctor is that how that works doctor of pharmacy yeah because i have a friend who's a pharmacist and, and they joke i'm a doctor yeah, it's it's not a very good joke, and I, I don't like to. But technically, uh, put you're that. A do- like you're a doctor. I have a doctorate degree in pharmacy, yes, but, but I'm but, not a medical doctor. But but you could be. I mean, we don't normally call people pharmacists, but that's technically the. Yes, you do have that title. Do- sure. Doc- so, Doctor Ruffridge. Yeah, I don't don't say that though. Okay, so so you went to what school? I mean, school. You I have college? my staff call me uh, the honorable. Representative Dr. Ruffridge, though. That's really good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not joking. I'm not going to say it, but there are legislators who are like, you will call me, the, you know, these, like, the, this title. Oh, okay. Well, then, exa- uh, for the they, record, they that exist. was a joke. Oh, I, they don't call me I, that. I know that was, I know that, I know that okay. was a joke, but they, they, are, they, are out, they are out there. Yeah. Um, I'm not one of those. So, do you go to school in, like, lower, do, do, we, do we even have a pharmacy? I don't We, oh, great news, Jeff. We, we have a pharmacy program, do we, we? We did not rehearse this beforehand, but we do. We have a pharmacy program here in the state of Alaska. We just graduated our first graduating class just a couple years ago. Uh, it's a joint venture between UAA and Idaho State University. So this is different than the whammy. It is, yeah. But these are kids from Alaska that are going uh, and getting a pharmacy, doctor of pharmacy degree here in Alaska. It's one of our only doctorate level uh, medical pro. Actually, I think it is the only one in the state where you can get a doctorate level medical degree uh, here in Alaska. So where, where did you where did you go? I went to Wazoo, uh, Washington State University. Okay, so then you went to undergrad. Did you was that from the get-go you wanted to do that or did you kind of later just decide I want to No, so uh, I graduated high school and uh, actually I wanted to uh, I wanted to do science and math work. I knew I liked that. I knew I liked medical work. Uh, but I was pretty young and I uh, wanted to get away from Alaska for a little bit, so I went as far away as I could. I went to Florida uh, for a year. Um, so my first year of college was 2001. Uh, so I went away in August of 2001 and then the world changed on September 11th. Then I kind of couldn't wait to come back home because it just felt like the world became so you, unsafe. So, so. You're, what, you're, 40, you're 40? Uh, I will be 40 in September. Yeah, yeah. so I'm 30. So I graduated in 03. So we're, you're a little bit, a couple of years older than me. But I remember I was in high, junior year in high school during 9-11. Yeah, yeah, so I was that, my that, freshman year of college. So I'm sure you have that like vivid where you were, memory, all that stuff. Yeah, Pensacola, Florida. And uh, it was really hard to be away from home. Um, and so I did, I finished out my year there and then came back home, took a break, uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I cleaned carpets and did construct, uh, uh, masonry construction work for a year and, uh, decided and, and yeah, that this was, uh, not, not for me. I better go back to school. Uh, so then I went back, I got into Wazoo, uh, to do uh pre-med undergrad. And then, uh, I actually only went to one year of undergrad at Wazoo. So I had two years undergrad. I applied to pharmacy, the pharmacy program. Uh, and shockingly, they took me uh, without an undergrad degree. That was still, uh, you were still able to do that in 2004. Wait, so you were initially wanted to be a doctor? Um, well, no, I uh, I knew I wanted pre- to do, so. yeah, I wanted to be in medicine of some sort. Um, so I was on the pre-med track, but that really opens you up to do a lot of different things um, in the medical field. Um, and I actually met a pharmacist, uh, that, uh, that year and thought I would pursue that. I didn't think that, that the year that I applied one, I didn't have an undergrad degree. 
Uh, two, I was from Alaska, and uh, three, there was almost a thousand applicants, and they took ninety-two. I I didn't think I had a chance at getting wow, in. Wow, that's like less than ten percent. Yeah, and uh, but I got accepted, so I was able to get through a doctorate program in six years. Do you think so some lucky. of that may have been like, oh, like this from Alaska? Let's let's grab him. I, honestly, I have no idea. I would say it's by the grace of God I got accepted. I I I mean, I I'd like to so think that, I have a good resume, but. So is that a yeah. six-year deal, or how long is that? It's typically an eight-year program. I got it done in six because I got in two years early, essentially, which was good. Okay, so you finished down there, and then you come you come back right away, or did you work down there for? Uh, no, so I graduated in uh, in two thousand eight, um, and then uh, moved back well, to that's Alaska. Like, that's like the so you got nine eleven, and then you got the global crash. No, don't talk to me about that. Yeah, wow, you got these like events. <laughs> in your- School. Yeah. So yeah, I went to school and, you know, we all kind of had this idea, all right, we're going to graduate. We're going to be these, uh, you know, hotshot pharmacists and uh, we're going to go home and we're going to, you know, buy a nice house. And I, I, I wanted to get a truck, you know, every, every Alaskan kid wants to buy a truck. And then, uh, yeah, I graduated school and, and the, and the market fell out. And so, yeah, I, I was basically uh, denied everything. And then I had student loans. So. But, like, but like, it seems like People always need a pharmacist, right? That sure, yeah. So now you have your own your your own pharmacy, your own business. Uh, I do. I actually co-own a pharmacy in Soldatna, uh, Soldatna Professional Pharmacy. Uh, we started a remote pharmacy in Girdwood a few years ago, uh, Alpine Apothecary, and then uh, uh, my business partner and I we actually own the pharmacy right down the street from where we're sitting, Juno Drug. So, but initially, did you work for somebody? Or I did. did. You- I worked at Soldatna Professional Pharmacy as a staff pharmacist. Um, and, uh, worked with the founder of that company, uh, Tom, and, uh, he was a good mentor and a good friend. I got to ask you, I don't know if this is how you operate, but growing up and going to the pharmacy, it's always like, why do they make you wait? Yeah. You know, you have to like drop off your, and the reason I ask is because I lived in Australia for about a year and I didn't have Australian health insurance, but even if you don't, I mean, it's actually quite affordable. You know, I had a really bad, like chest infection. I was like, what do I do? So I go to the deal and it was like. It was funny. I said, how, how much is it? And they were like, oh, it's 75. And I said, well, no, how much is it? Like, She goes, what do you mean? I go, like, how much is it going to really be? And she's like, are you American? I said, yeah. She's like, it's 75. <laughs> <laughs> so then I get it. And she's like, yeah. He's like, you have a thing. You have an infection. I'm going to you know, get you a prescription. I go to the pharmacy, give it to the guy. And I said, you know, when should I come back? And he's like, eh, what do you mean? I go, what, like, when should I come pick it up? He's like, three minutes. And he's all confused. And I said, well, where I live, you know, it's like you have to come back in an hour. Yeah. And then he's like, well, they, 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 they'd fuck us up if we did that here. You know? So why is that? It's like, it seems when I was a kid, that's like the standard. You like drop it off and you come back. Is that, this, is that still that way? I don't really ever. How, how long of an answer do you want for your podcast here? Jack? <laughs> I, just, I, don't, I don't really get, I don't go to the pharmacist really yeah. much. But no, it's, it's actually as a, kid. a super valid question. Um, we have a lot of rules here that govern what we do. Um, insurance actually kind of screws things up a lot for people. It's, it's a struggle to get something paid for. Um, there's a lot of adjudication that has to happen. You have to insert everything into a computer system. Um, and then there's, because over there, I just, I just paid for, I just paid for it. Right. And so, I mean, that absolutely could happen here, but we have a, a huge subset of laws that say you can't do that. So when you, when you drop off a prescription to me, I know exactly what you need. Let's say you need a little box of azithromycin. That that box is right behind me. I could walk over there, grab it, hand it to you. That's an antibiotic, right? Yeah, and look, say, look, look at me. I'm... You're doing great. Two two <laughs> tablets today and then one each day for the next four days. You'll be good to go. Um, but 
you know, our, our laws here don't let me do that. I have to, I have to type the whole thing in the computer, bill your insurance. Then I have to label it uh, according to our labeling laws. And then I have to make sure that, uh, you know, I ver- and some of that is for safety purposes. Uh, but those little, those steps all take a little bit of time. And so the time, if, if you were the only person needing my assistance in that moment, I could probably get your prescription done in about five minutes. But that's the other piece that insurance kind of has a hand in is, Um, you have to fill so many prescriptions in such a short period of time in order to even make ends meet in the pharmacy world. Mm -hmm. You're sort of multitasking, you know, almost more than you probably should be. Um, And so I can't just dedicate time to filling your one prescription. I'm usually filling 10 or 15 others all at the same time. And so it, it's hard to just focus on the one. Okay, so you're you're on you're you're doing the pharmacy, and then you were on the Soldatna City Council, right? I was, yeah, I was on City Council for four years. So did you always kind of have an inkling for public service, or what, why was there some specific reason you ran for the the council? Actually, I um I started getting involved in politics through my effort to help solve some of the issues with pharmacy. And actually with some of the insurance issues, I, I first came down to Juneau um, in the late uh, 2010s, uh, just before I actually applied, I was appointed to the city council to advocate for a pharmacy bill that we were running, House Bill 240. It was uh, sponsored by David Guttenberg and, uh, and actually Kathy Giesel helped with that bill. But anyway, uh, we uh, were down here, we did a pharmacy fly-in and I remember going into everyone's offices and meeting with them and you know, trying to educate somebody about, you know, what, what the importance is of pharmacy, what our business is like. And then I realized, wow, there's a really, uh, there's a shortage of healthcare people just engaged in politics at all. And it's really hard to have these very detailed conversations. I think right now, like Kathy Giesel is a nurse practitioner, right? Yeah. Um, Donnie Olson has some He's med- a physician. Med- 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 yeah. medical background. Um, Andrew Gray is a physician's Andrew assistant. Andrew Gray is a PA in the, yeah. Yeah, the military. But yeah, you're right. There's not historically been there's a lot of lawyers a lot of lawyers (laughs) yeah heavy on lawyers (laughs) so yeah and so i i came back home and said boy i i feel like there's a a really good opportunity to get involved um a friend of mine uh, who was serving on the city council actually came into the pharmacy in soldatna and said uh uh, hey a a member of our city council is is leaving he's moving out of state um, you know, I think you would be really good at this. And I had just come out of, uh, lobbying down here in Juneau. And he said, you don't have to make, you don't have to run an election. It's an appointed position. You just have to finish out his term. It's like eight months. Um, why don't you put your name into the hat? And I said, oh, okay, well, eight months, I can, eight months doesn't sound hard. I can mm-hmm. do that for eight months. And, uh, so yeah, he conned me into it. He was the first person I called when I decided to run to say, look what you've done. Now you need to, you need to make a campaign donation. Um, so yeah, I, I fell in love with the service aspect of it. And, uh, honestly, the ability to learn more about your community, about the government process. It's, it's fascinating how much we don't know about what happens in government. And some of it is, um, just very messy sometimes. Um, and we, we make the assumption that government is this clean operating process um, and everyone kind of knows what's going on, which is why what you do with the loose unit is pretty good because politics is always kind of loose. Like, oh, um, yeah. No, especially at yeah. the local. You know, I don't know about Kenan. So, I mean, I know there's been the kind of Charlie Pierce deal, but we have our Anchorage Assembly and it's for, you know, years just been total fucking chaos. I mean, yeah. it's just every meeting, it's, these stars of David deals and this mask mandate stuff and it becomes national and the 
you know, the, the, just the, you know, the whole with Berkowitz before and that whole thing. I mean, it's just like, and I've kind of t- joked, you know, it's for my business, it's kind of good, but you know, it, it used to be when I was younger, I feel like maybe it's nostalgic, but these meetings used to be kind of boring. Yeah. You know, they weren't that, ex- and they should be boring. It should be like, we have to do this. We have to, did you take ro- my, hold on one second, Jeff. So my wife actually, and I discussed what my campaign slogan was going to be. And uh, actually, uh, my chief of staff now, we discussed this, uh, Mr. Sexton. Both of them shot me down initially. I wanted my campaign slogan to be, make politics boring again. Can you believe so, that? So they I told think, me I couldn't do that. So that's a good, I mean, Chris Constant in Anchorage, he's been doing something. He had a hat. I think it says, make politics boring. Because, you know, you, you just, I think it was Trevor Noah, who was that? It was some. Maybe it was John Oliver. It was uh, a while back, but they were talking about during all this craziness with Trump. And he's like, he's like, you know, you know how you know things are really messed up. He's like, I know all these people's names. I know all these secretaries. I don't, I don't want to know their names. I don't, I shouldn't know, you know. But he's like, I know the whole cabinet. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really true. I um, I really started paying attention. I I know a whole bunch of people who actually uh, stopped uh, their Netflix subscriptions during the Anchorage Assembly uh, stuff during COVID because they they said, well, I'm not watching Netflix. All I'm doing is watching Anchorage so, so, Assembly. So, so during the mask mandate, uh, you know, two weeks of these meetings, we we were there live streaming it. And so they had their feed, their feed which is, you know, one little camera, and it's kind of like an old, they're pretty old. And so we had our own cameras in the room, and we were doing our own live stream, switching cameras, angles, getting people's faces. And, I mean, at one point, we had like a 1,000 people on our stream. Yeah. Just because it was so it was so nuts. It was must people, watch pe- TV. People were wearing like dinosaur outfits. They were wearing these stars of David. They were <laughs> screaming at each other. They were, I mean, they, it was just it was total just pandemonium. Yeah, I have to say, initially, I was a little entertained by it. it to me, it actually got a little bit serious, though. Um, and and this is more from the just the medical, um, you know, person aspect. But one of the things that I, I've seen and I, I get concerned with is the is the wearing away of trust in people that have dedicated their life to a certain profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it took a, a weird turn when I, there was some spitting on medical people. And, you know, these are people that are, are really honestly trying very hard to save lives and work hard. And, you know, they, do, they don't want to get involved in politics necessarily. And, and then we made healthcare political. Now we're making education political. Everything's become political. And uh, so it you, used to you, be we used to have trust in some of these institutions, but you strike me. And I totally agree with that. You strike me as a very reasonable person. I've, we've talked several times here since you've come to Juno, but now you're on this education committee, and now there's so much like this governor's bill. There's this transgender stuff, which I mean, frankly, I mean, I'm, I'm on the side. You know, I, we don't have to get into this, but I don't think a boy can say I'm, I'm a girl. I want to compete with the girls. I mean, that seems to be pretty like non-controversial, but it is controversial. But then you have all this other stuff with the, what they're going to teach and the, you know, the sex, all these different, and it's like, so, I mean, you're like right in the middle of a really very big kind of social, um, you know, these, these kind of these wars, I guess, or, you know, these social wars. Yeah. And, and we're using in a lot of ways, the education system as the platform to, Cult, to culture wars. I mean, Yeah. To have our own culture war. And it, it is unfortunate. And I saw it on the medical end of things where we use the medical platform to essentially to fight out, you know, an ideological battle between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. That that was all wrapped up in, in vaccines, frankly. And now we're wrapping up an ideological battle inside of the education of our children. And that is, you know, as a as a child of educators, I know a lot of educators in my community 
for the most part, teachers want to be a neutral third party. They want to come in. They, they enjoy teaching. They like to be able to sit down with kids and, and watch that process happen of lighting up their brains about something that they don't know. Um, and, and they really do, in a lot of cases, get wrapped up in our own stuff on the political end. It's one of the reasons why when I campaigned, I said, you know, we need uh, to support our teachers and support our students and have less well, politics. And, and, and so it's so much with, with any healthcare education, any issue, any cultural issue, it's like you have very loud voices on each side, but it's like 10 or 15% of each, but they're loud. And then you have the people in the middle, the, you know, the 70% who reasonable, they, they can come to a reasonable conclusion or compromise on some of these things. But it's like the, the loud, you know, and everything's amplified now with social media and, um, and it's just really, it's, a, it's challenging to, to figure out a way to solve, come to an agreement or yeah. compromise when, you know, you're getting just screamed at by, by it's, it seems like everybody, but it's really just not, you know, in the big picture, it's not that many people. Yeah, I think that's really true. And and honestly, it makes, um, it makes the people who just, I guess we would call them hardworking, middle class, you know, everyday people um, question whether or not they're doing the right thing and question whether or not they, what they can say out loud, how they can say it. And, and almost by default, we've kind of squished the first amendment a little bit well, where I, people I, are kind of afraid to say what they think. I bet I've, I've, you know, dealt with, I deal with this a lot. I, I I'm pretty outspoken. Um, but so many friends of mine, <clears throat> I'll say something or I'll put something on Twitter sometimes and they'll say, man, I can't, I love, I love that. I can't. And I said, well, you know, why don't you, you should say that, but whether, whether it's a cultural thing or social, that whatever it might be. And so many times they say, no, no, I, I can't say that. I don't want to deal with the, you know. And it's like, you can't live in a free society if you're afraid to speak. That's very true. And this is where, where we're at, where so many people are afraid to, whether it's on the left or the right or whatever, because you're going to get, you know, just like the barrage of attacks or maybe your employment, employment could be in danger or whatever. And, well, and I think is, we have to learn how to disagree with somebody we have to learn again how to have discourse that is respectful, but also it, you can have aggressive disagreement without being um, without being disrespectful to a person. Um, I will I will defend that position I mean, for, I, forever. I just I was watching this this morning education committee, and I, I just to to follow up on that. I mean, there was somebody that wanted you to not allow a question to happen. There was a meeting was going late, and you were very nice. You said. He said, look, I'm, you know, you can leave. We're having a meeting. You know, you're, you let them ask the question. And it was just very, but I could see other people reacting much differently in that situation. Yeah, because, you know, to me, there is a, um, there is a necessity to bring that back into not just politics, but bring it back into the American way of life. We've allowed the social media, the 24-hour the news cycle, the constant barrage of information to affect and sometimes very deeply affect our ability to think rationally, to treat people kindly, to uh, essentially act as neighbors and friends in a world that we all mm -hmm. occupy and breathe the same air. And uh, I, I frankly like disagreeing with people. I think it actually builds consensus, which is really what politics should be about. Well, it's also, you know, in a real debate or in a real discussion when people are on different sides it forces you to to defend your ideas and explain why you're right you know and, and yeah. if you can't if you can't explain your position or 
explain explain your thoughts, then that's you know that's a bigger problem. So I, I grew up, um, you know, in a uh, uh, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night prayer meeting. Um, you were the whole you were the whole deal. Oh, whole deal. And but one of the things that uh, actually I, I've taken to heart, it's actually a scripture reference that I'll paraphrase, and that is uh, that you need to be ready always to give an answer to every person who asks you about what is in your heart and what you believe. And I, I think that's exactly what you're saying, is if you're going to take a public position on something, you need to be ready to, uh, to have that discussion, have that debate with somebody, but have it from a place of respect and understanding and knowing that people are always going to be able to disagree with you and you can still leave uh, cordial or even friends. You sound kind of like a, kind of a minority in the politics. Right? <laughs> so many people are so, you know, they get so angry or they get, they're so partisan. Yeah. I hope I'm not a minority, frankly. And, and, and from my experience in the legislature thus far, I don't think I am. I think some people uh, get convinced that uh, the other way is the way that politics must be performed. And, and I, I emphasize the word performance because that ends up being what it is. Y- you wouldn't, go into your regular life and act like that to people, or at least I would hope not. Uh, But, you know, when you get inside the building, that that is in many ways what is almost expected of you. Uh, You know, if if you're somebody from the other side, I'm expected to, you know, essentially treat you a certain way. And I just don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to that theory. Yeah, it's weird how it works here. I mean, some people, the campaign can can get so nasty, but then you're all in the, you're all in the same building together and you have to work together and then people end up having to, I'm not sure if much in the way of campaigns got nastier than the one I ran. So I was I was I was going to ask you about that. I know you got to go in a bit, but but t- whenever you got to leave, just tell me and I'll, I'll yeah, just a couple off. minutes. But, but um, you know, you you had a really nasty campaign. They really came at you with some of these outside, I guess, in, in state groups and bizarre. I mean, people were sending them to me, and I didn't know you at the time, but I was like, man, this guy, this is like, you know, this really just out there, you know, this drag stuff, drag. I, and I've run before. I mean, I've I've had you know. I've, there was a, I was called Alaska's worst, so I had a sign that was a joke, Juno's worst nightmare, and it was actually Craig Johnson sent it out when I ran in 2016 for oh, the, wow. it was, I'll show it to you later, it was called Alaska's worst nightmare, it was me and my Speedo, and it was women, it was just, a, I, I think thought I've it, seen that. I thought it was funny, yeah. but, but I mean, I'm getting like, people like, are you okay, are you, I said, no, it's fine, you know, but sometimes you just can't prepare to deal with these things until they happen, you just can't really prepare somebody to, to, to know how to react when, you know, your friend, family and your friends see, see this stuff. Yeah, that one was really difficult. And and I will say, going back to how I think things should be done, in all fairness, I, I was I was absolutely um, uh, shocked by that mailer that was sent out against me. Um, but then really actually tried to take an approach of, you know, not not uh, giving like for like. And actually, I'll, I'll let you know, and, and for your listeners to know, I've actually had a great conversation uh, with uh, Mr. Minnery. So they, they, did he apologize? Was there an apology? There was an apology uh, mailer sent out, but he actually came down to Soldatna because there was such a public outpouring of uh, disagreement with his choices. Um, and so he came down to Soldatna. We had a meeting uh, with him and, and a, a large group of people, not even people that supported my campaign, just community members. And... Uh, and he got to hear from them. And to his credit, he heard from them um, and said, wow, you know, I really got this wrong. Um, and, you know, I, I, I hope, you know, that leads to changes in the future about what 
you know, that organization chooses to do in politics. Uh, but that's a really great example. This is an organization that espouses, you know, Christian beliefs, which is, you know, in a lot of cases, uh, love your neighbor, uh, treat people the way you want to be treated. And then you Turn have the other that. cheek. Yeah. All of those things. And, and, uh, so we were able to talk about it on that level, um, as in many cases, what I would say, Christian brothers, um, and say, Hey, you, you did, you did something, um, wrong here. And, and to his credit, I think he, he recognized that. So, and that's, I think the work that needs to be done here needs to be done in a lot of different, there's a lot, there was every reason, uh, under the sun for me to uh, hate that person forever mm-hmm. and say, you're dead to me. I'm going to do everything I can to destroy you. And um, I just don't, I, I just don't, uh, I don't agree with that approach. So um, I well, think so, sometimes, sometimes credit. doing being that way and being humble and forgiving is uh, it's, it's harder than doing it, doing the other way, but usually it yeah. has a better outcome. And I, and I think it does. And, and uh, I think our world would be better. Our state would be better off for it. Um, you know, I think that there is, uh, you know, are, am I going to see eye to eye with him or any other person every single time? No, but I, I want him to be a person that can come into my office and have a conversation with and not have there be this growing level mm-hmm. of animosity. So, yeah. so, so, uh, just last thing, kind of you, 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 you ran in the, in, you won and it was just you. And so you, you didn't really have the rank choice deal because it was just two of you. Correct. Um, did you feel good about like, were you like, I'm going to win? Did you have a 50, 50? I mean, how'd you kind of, cause I mean, I think a lot of people were watching that race. That was one of the, I think he was one of the few incumbents that got, that got defeated. Yeah. I mean, it's always hard to unseat an incumbent. Uh, I think I ran a really good race. I'm really proud of the race that I, uh, I ran. Uh, I think it really um, showed my <laughs> character and what's important to me. Um, but no, I, I don't think you go ever go into election day thinking that you have it in the bag. I would say if you ever think that, um, you better prepare to lose. Well, there's been a lot of people (laughs) that have lost thinking that. Yeah. So no, I, I, uh, I, I thought I had a chance, I guess would be the, but would not have been surprised either way. You you were kind of in the unique spot with the the primary deal. Didn't matter, but it was a kind of a, you know, a, first round, I guess, and, and, and you, you did very well. So you probably going forward, you know, that, yeah, oh, hey, I, is- I watch a lot of sports. And so it actually made me feel uh, less comfortable having done well in the primary. Cause I'm like, Oh man, that's like every team ever like halftime up at the half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, yeah. That's the Atlanta Falcons and the Patriots, you know, in the super bowl. Right, yeah. yeah. But well, and I know you got to go to a meeting, but I'd love to yeah. have you because I want to talk more about kind of Juno. Maybe have you on again talk about yeah, dynamics anytime, of, yeah. of you know the the kind of being the capital and you're in the major first first session. You're in the majority. You got a co-chair. Um, yeah, you're one of the people that a lot of folks that are watching uh, the legislature, the House, are kind of looking at. You know, one of the one of the, a, lot, a lot of freshmen too. There's a 17. You have the freshman caucus deal with all those folks. That's, we didn't even talk about the freshman caucus. So I mean, we could we could uh, seriously we could go for an hour. We could go for hours. Yeah, you're, you're I'll be back. Fun guy to talk to. You're just down the road, right across right across the way. Yeah. Okay, Representative Justin Ruffridge, uh, District. What's the new one? Is seven. Seven. Yeah. So Soldatna and uh, first time and first time freshman and Soldatna and Kenai. Can't forget Kenai. I just I just saw uh, Peter Machiki. I don't know if you saw he's in Hawaii. He looks like he's having a little quick vacation. So he he is back home now he's already back getting to work it was just a quick vacation last thing i'll ask you is are you after this planning on going somewhere when session's over are you, are you doing something you gotta recharge the batteries you gotta get somewhere or you gotta go back to the pharmacy is that what we're supposed to do 
Yeah. I had kind of just planned on doing more of. There's I'm a going, lot of work you're supposed to do. I'm in going the to Vegas in a few weeks. Like, Are you? Uh, oh yeah, I got. I got to. Re- I got to. I'm going to need to learn that lesson. And my wife would be happy if I learned that lesson. She's always like, when are we going to go do something You're welcome. fun? You guys are welcome to come with me. You know, no, no big deal. Okay. Well, uh, we'll That's talk about that point. offline. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Okay, thanks again, uh, Representative yeah. Justin Rufford, Thanks for coming Jim. in. We'll talk to you next time. And folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline, radio.